This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the gang. The gang, the band is back together. Mary Goulet, how are you? Good to see you. Doing well, great to be back. Welcome back. Back, Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? How are you doing? Why he's got it under control in the studio? Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. I was expecting you to come back more tan, Mary Goulet, from Croatia and being on the boat and the whole nine. Your shoulders got some color. Yeah, but I don't know. You Minnesota don't know. white. Minnesota. <laughs> Did you have fun? Was it, was it an great. awesome trip? It was awesome. Good, good, good. Well, welcome back. And I know you were feeling not 100% when you got back. So no. glad you're feeling better as well good to have you here and here on reinvention radio we do really seem to cover the gamut of uh sitting down with all kinds of interesting people from across the planet here uh, who are doing things to dismantle the status quo in their own right and sharing with you stories of where they came from where they are and uh and their reinvention along the way and don't forget, we do broadcast live every Thursday, so you can join us at reinventionradio.com, catch the feed there. Uh, and so that is 1 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, if you wanted to join in on the conversation, you are joining us live. You can do so by calling us at 866-977-2346, and we would love to have you in as a part of the conversation as well. So on Beyond Eight Figures, which is our other show where we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually, uh, we really do a a nice deep dive into how they started and scaled and in some cases exited from those businesses. Uh, And you would think that uh, folks who listen to that show have probably already subscribed to, well, the, the thinking and, uh, and, and everything that Jeff Prager is doing here to help businesses become profitable. But uh, after thinking about a lot of the conversations that we've had, uh, it seems like a lot of those eight-figure sc- businesses could probably be nine-figure businesses and beyond if they incorporated uh, a lot of Jeff's thinking into, uh, into what it is that they are doing and this should be a really interesting conversation because I think for for years, you know, we've all been taught really that um, the CPAs and the financial advisors of the world really know what they're doing, and we should be listening to them for financial advice as it relates to our business and what we're measuring and why we're measuring and so on. Uh, and today's guest, Jeff Frager, actually has a very different take. Uh, on that, so let's uh, let's first bring Jeff up and uh, get a quick hello. And Jeff, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, man. Really good to have you here. And so, give us um, give us first an understanding of uh, of your background because you've had a pretty interesting uh, business journey over the years. And so, give give us first an understanding of your background, and then uh, bring us up to speed on the work that you're doing now. Well, um, basically, I started my career as a CPA. I worked for Touche Ross and um, um, then became, then decided to go to the other side. And I became a controller of a company, a vice president of finance for a company. And my major emphasis was doing in projections, taking companies into the future. And um, 
along the way, uh, enough people liked what I was doing. They said, hey, go into your own practice. So I started my own CPA firm um, and was helping a bunch of companies grow, one of which you may have heard of, Ashworth Golf Clothing. They're right out there in Carlsbad, Mm -hmm. not far from you. Um, And started doing that and uh, did pretty darn well. Um, And then uh, the catastrophe happened. Uh, One of my friends who was a client of mine said, Jeff, I'm going to restart my home building business. Would you help us out? That being my specialty as a CPA, I go, sure, why not? Right? And guess what? Running a business is totally different than being a CPA. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Oh, yeah. And we got upside down about a million dollars before I kind of figured out how to get out of it. And um, it, it's led me to my beliefs today. And by the way, we did turn it around. It became the second largest privately owned home builder in Colorado. It was rated in the uh, top 100 privately owned companies in Colorado. And um, while I was doing that, I was also teaching economics at University of Colorado and running a land development company. So that's kind of it. But, but it, it was that um, aha moment when we were upside down a million dollars where you think life can't get any worse, that's when it came to me that what my skills as a CPA are not the skills you need to run a business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and so what, what's interesting is you've, and in that turnaround, I think uh, what, what kind of got buried there um, a little bit, and we're going to extract all of this, hopefully during our conversation today is what really helped you to turn that home building business around. And then, of course, now the work that you're doing with others um, is focusing on numbers and metrics that most businesses typically don't focus on. So let's start then with mm, the conversation around what do most CPAs and CFOs and these sort of folks, I mean, what, what numbers are they typically focused on? So when you, when you think about yeah. the typical metrics of a business, what, what are those uh, metrics that most are, are typically focusing on now? Well, think about looking at your profit and loss statement. You've got a few income state, uh, accounts, and so you're looking at gross revenue, and then you start looking at all the expense accounts, of which there's a lot. But what I found is when you focus on the profit and loss – Profit is not cash. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. Profit is, you can't go to the grocery store and spend your accounts receivable. A lot of people try, but you can't do it. Sure. And so the idea is not to follow your profit, but to follow your cash. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, that's the beginning of the metamorphosis into a viable business. Then you could start going into, well, what makes up revenue? And when I started looking at what made companies successful versus unsuccessful, it was a, uh, the tendency to watch numbers, but it wasn't just the financial numbers. That's rearview mirror stuff. What it was is what makes up that revenue number. And that's how I came up with the seven numbers mm-hmm. um, that I've come up with. And, and five of them are uh, basically lead generation is the number one. Two is conversion rate. The third one is customer retention rate. 
the fourth one is number of transactions per customer, and the fifth one is price. That's what makes up revenue. So for you to say, I'm going to make, let's say, $10 million in re gross revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how? What are you going to do to get there? That's like saying, I want to lose weight. The only way you could lose weight is by getting on the scale. And, and that's where the numbers come in. You've got to look at these numbers. You've got to create a process around these numbers that you're going to follow that follow the whole business funnel of your company. Mm -hmm. So, and let's, we'll, we'll get into more detail on, on, on each of these, but uh, we're missing two of them. So what, what are the two that we're missing? If those are oh, the first those five. are on your financials. That's your um, cost of producing your product or service. Generally, people will think of that as cost of goods sold or variable cost. Mm -hmm. But because of accounting, some of that sitting on the balance sheet and in inventory, some of it's in your financial statement. So what I'd like to say is focus on purchases. Purchases in pur terms of the purchases that you make to support the creation of the goods and services that you're selling? Yeah, Steve, that's really good. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'll be here all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this recording and just put what you say in my books. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And then your fixed expenses. Which would be like rent or personnel. Yeah. Let's go to personnel for a second. Okay. okay. Everybody wants to cut costs, but what's the first person that should be on your list of personnel? Uh, hopefully yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. You're and most stealing people, the show. I, okay. I'm going to, let's switch sides of the microphone here, but, yeah, but hopefully really. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I like to do is when I'm trying to figure out your break even, and I don't even use the conventional definition of that, it's got to include your, your, your salary and a certain return on your investment. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking like that, that leaves you some wiggle room. But most people say that the, the conventional thinking is um, revenue minus cost equals profit. Revenue That's minus cost equals profit. Okay. Uh, gross uh, profit. Gro gross profit anyway. Net. Uh, let, let's say both costs, fixed and variable. Okay? okay. Okay. Is profit. Well, that means that you as an owner are thinking you're going to take whatever's left over. Okay. All right. Whereas Wall Street thinks revenue minus profit equals cost. Revenue minus profit equals cost. Okay. So in other words, they've got to hit their profit goals for that stock price to maintain. And they're going to do it by hook or crook. Mm -hmm. And and so the question is, is how does a company lay off 5,000 people or 12,000 people in one day? Can we and, break that down for one second? Hold on, mm -hmm. because it's, it's now, I'm just now coming to, to understand what you're saying. So Wall Street is saying, so when you look at these publicly traded companies, they're, they're looking for a particular amount of profit, which would then be reflected in the earnings per share. And mm -hmm. they don't always necessarily, how does that work though? Because if you're doing revenue minus profit equals cost versus revenue minus cost equals profit, is this why so many of those companies can have earnings per share but still be losing money? Well, they're, they're not losing money. What they're doing is they're monitoring their expenses. In other words, they're not hitting their revenue forecast. So therefore, they can't possibly hit their earnings forecast. Mm -hmm. So what do they do is they cut overhead. And they cut 
I don't know how they can lay off five people. Can you imagine if the government laid off everybody that was inefficient? That was just an aside. Mm. But but yeah. um, these companies laying off 5,000, 12,000, I, I think it was um, one of the big banks just laid off 12,000 people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they weren't hitting their revenue goals, their their earnings per share goals. But those, then, those seem that seems counterproductive, right? I mean, from the standpoint of typically you need the personnel to be able to do sales and marketing and so on uh, to be able to hit that revenue. I could, I could see it from the standpoint of they're not hitting their profit numbers, but in terms of hitting their revenue numbers, that, that seems those, those two seem to be diametrically opposed. Kind of it is, but what drives stock price earnings per share? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And meeting anal meeting or beating analyst expectations, so they will do anything. Now, typically, what you do is you work on your five revenue numbers, but when those aren't working for you, then you're stuck with your two cost numbers, and that's where you start fudging. In a small business, in a small to medium sized business, that's the key to suicide. Mm-hmm. So, can you? Way, can you break that down for the little minds over here? Like a mom and pop example of, because there are a lot of us entrepreneurs out there. I want to see where we might be missing the mark and doing what you're suggesting we don't do. Well, what they typically do is, um, it, this is called break even, whether they do it formally or informally up here, they're kind of saying, oh, I've got to hit a certain revenue figure to cover my expenses and and cover my variable costs, the cost associated with producing my product or service. That makes sense. But what they're not doing is saying in that revenue target that they're making is how do I cover my salary and my return on investment for all the risk I'm taking? So they're missing that component when they're setting up their objectives. And so they're almost setting themselves up to fail because they're thinking about it a little bit backwards. They're not thinking about their risk. They're not thinking about their salary. And, and I see it in businesses. Uh, I work primarily with two to, you know, two million on up. Uh, the majority uh, of the mean company I deal with is two to 15 million. Mm-hmm. And you see it all the time hmm. where you go, well, what's your goal? And they go, well, these are my expenses. This is what I got to cover. They call it the monthly nut but they're not putting in a return on investment or their own salary in that monthly nut. So they're, they're, they're targeting the wrong revenue goals. Mm-hmm. So, so to that end, is, is there a rule of thumb and Richie, I know you got questions as well, but, I, but to that end, is there a rule of thumb? Like how are there, are there industry standards, let's say as an example, that a founder slash CEO slash operator should be plugging in for themselves in terms of, as you said, you know, paying yourself and, and, and the first person that you should be paying is yourself. So how, how does an entrepreneur then know what, because I think that's part of the, for so many entrepreneurs, they struggle with that in terms of, why should I be taking, you know, a hundred grand and, and not bring in two $50,000 people who can really help build the business? Like it's that, it's that conundrum, that catch 22. And then like, if I'm making 
250 grand and the next employee is making 100 grand. How is that fair, right? So like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with really understanding that ROI conversation, the, the salary conversation, paying themselves first. Is there a rule of thumb, industry standards? How do you recommend, is it based on uh, a percentage of, of revenue typically? What, how do you do it? <laughs> how about D, all of the above? Yeah, right. Um, uh, for my minimum standard, that, that one's easiest to figure. I, I look at what I can make in the open market. So if I worked as a CFO for, for a, a company that I'm capable of working, what kind of revenue would I take in? And that would be my minimum. And then I look at my capital and or time, which I value as capital. And I say, what would be my return on investment if I were an investor in my own business? So, you know, like to me, 10% is way too low. But if I'm putting in my time, energy and money, how do I value that? And then what kind of return? Is it 35%? Is it 50%? Is it 100%? Or is it 10%? Usually it's not that low. So I think people tend to under, underestimate and uh, the, the value of their time in running a business. Mm -hmm. But it, they also have to grow into it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's such a catch-22 yeah. because you have to invest in yeah, the business and in you, personnel. So how do you do that? Yeah, it, it really depends on where you are in your cycle. And, and there's a bunch of cycles superimposing themselves. You got the product life cycle, the industry life cycle, the economic life cycle, the business life cycle. Mm -hmm. and, and so you're asking a lot of iffy questions that kind of uh, depend on facts and circumstances at the time. In a startup, you know, one of my, I was just working with a guy this morning in a startup and I'm saying, okay, how much are you worth on the open market? How much are you going to do? Uh, you know, what would your return on investment be? And I go, now, can you drive the revenues to cover all that? Mm -hmm. And, and so it becomes kind of a, well, no, not this year. Well, can you do it next year? Because whatever you're giving up this year is really your investment in future years. Mm -hmm. And so you should be getting a return on investment. There's got to be a place where you get a return on investment. Otherwise, you're spinning your wheels. And that's the problem with a lot of mom and pops mm -hmm. is they would make more working for McDonald's than they would by running their own business. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's awful. And, and that's something our politicians and, and our government and, and people don't understand about risk taking. They don't understand that concept of what risk could really do to you and what's really on the line. And so is, is there a time to cut the rope? Like, I mean, like if you've been in a business for five years, as an example, and you have yet to make what you can make on the open market, like, but again, I guess that's a relative term also, right? Because yeah. you don't really know what you can make on the open market until you actually do it. And then you may be thinking in your mind, you know, I'm a, I'm a half million dollar CEO, but you know, you're 50, you've aged out. People don't want to be hiring a 50 year old anyway. So you may have this value, but at the same token, no one's going to hire you for that. Right. So <laughs> then the question is, do you have that value? Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, All right. I'm going to um, go in the corner and cry right now. Thanks. Yeah, Jeff. Exactly. Appreciate that. <laughs> but, but, but let's, 
I usually use a target. I, I think it's a realistic target of from the time you start your business to about three years in. At that point, you should be getting. You should be at my definition of break even, which is getting your salary and a modest return on your investment. Mm-hmm. If not, I think it's time to take a look mm-hmm. at what's going on. I mean, the statistics are certainly not in our favor. Eighty percent of businesses, and that number goes up and down depending on which source you're looking at, don't survive five years. Mm-hmm. And then you take it to the next level, and another eighty percent don't make it through the second five years. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a 4% chance of being around 10 years from now. Yeah. That's mm. not really good statistic. No, but in, in, I mean, to that end, it's, it is interesting to see how, and I, and I wonder of that 4% that survive, how many of those businesses actually should have been shuttered years ago? I mean, there, there's somewhat of a demand and there's enough revenue to, Shall we, shall we just say do okay, but it's never going to have exponential growth. And so every year that you continue to invest in that is almost just sunk cost high. I mean, like, I think that's part of where the, the, the confusion lies for some is, is we always think, okay, in next year, all of those sunk costs are going to pay out. I'm going to see that ROI. And, and so well, that's that's where the metrics come in and why mm-hmm. I came up with the seven metrics yeah. is is seven key numbers is if if you can't see it happening, why would you continue? Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like if you want to lose weight, getting on the scale. If you don't know what you weigh, how do you know what you've got what you've got to lose? Mm-hmm. Same thing with running a business. So you look at your your, your seven metrics over three, five years and you go, when is it going to turn? And if it's not going to why are you procrastinating? Why are you uh, elongating the agony? Mm-hmm. Richie, what are you thinking over there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, first off, I, I, have, I know how hard it is to jump in the middle of this type of conversation, especially when you're dealing with a funnel with those seven questions like that, because there's so many variables, to your point, yeah. where are they at in the yeah. business cycle, all this stuff. But it really makes me think about what we're doing right here, podcasting just creating content because you you can't get to two, three, four, five. You can't get to any of those numbers without one, mm-hmm. right? If no one knows about you and no one is aware of your business, the odds of you getting a lead that you can convert, that you can get to come back, that you can retain, that you can get to buy more, like it's, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we use the phrase sometimes like attention is the new currency, but I don't think it's anything new. I, I mean, it's kind of always been whoever had the attention made the money. So I, I want to frame this in the question more of where do you see someone should make the decision to even go into business? Because you made a really good point, and we talked about it even on the other show. Like, just because Sally's a good baker doesn't mean Sal- Sally can run a bakery. Right. So do you see... Um, someone has enough awareness, enough people paying attention to them, enough skill set. Like, at what point does someone decide I'm gonna I'm gonna turn what I know into a business? Well, you could always go back to E Myth, uh, Michael Gerber's book, and he calls it an entrepreneurial seizure, where <laughs> all of a sudden you say I'm gonna go in business, or I'm really tired of working for you know the boss, or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, you know, 
I have a saying, it's, it's one of my rules is running a business is a learned skill. And that's what I learned when I stopped being a CPA and became a home builder is, you know what? I really didn't know how to run a business. And probably where I'm going to go with this isn't, you know, is who are your advisors? What are they telling you? I've had people come to me with great ideas and I go, well, show me your market, show me your potential. And they go, everybody wants it. I go, is anybody giving you one nickel toward it? And they go, no, I go, well, come back when you, when, when somebody, you know, do some more market research and I put them on a, on a path and they come back two, three months later uh, and say, um, and, and I start asking the questions, how much were they willing to pay? Will they pay? Will they write you a check? And he goes, well, no. And, and matter of fact, I have a testimonial from this guy that I'm, I'm alluding to. He had two children and a wife and he had a job and it wasn't paying great, but it wasn't bad. And he says, I got this great idea that everybody wants. And we went through this. And after a year, he finally said, you know what? It's a great idea, but nobody's willing to put a, any money into it. So have you really determined, A, do you have the skill set to be an entrepreneur? And, and that's a real serious question right there, because being an entrepreneur is not easy. It, it, it's quite the contrary. It's sleepless nights, ulcers, you know, uh, not making payroll. You, 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 if you haven't been there, you, you just can't even imagine it. Mm -hmm. So, number one, do you have the right temperament? Do you have the right, you know, background? Do you really understand what makes up a business? I can't believe how many people start a business and they don't want to do any marketing or sales. I'm a CPA, for God's sakes, and I have to do sales. And, and that's really contrary to, you know, what you would think. But even selling my CPA services, when I had my firm, I had to sell the service. And, and you've got to sell. And if your mindset is not into sales, do you even stand a chance? If you don't know how to generate leads, do you even stand a chance? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of, Richard, answering your question a little bit indirectly. But, man, sometimes I have people come in with these great ideas and you go, well, how are you going to market it? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, they don't know. And that's your first clue that you're not ready for this if you don't know how you're going to market it. Yeah, because at some point, the rest of the numbers, let's just say two through five, if you get enough leads, if you're good at marketing and you just ask, even, even if your other numbers are poor, two through five, you can, you can probably improve them over time or get a copywriter or something to increase conversion or bring someone in. But if you can't get that first one and you can't get them to give you something, it's... right pretty much right. sums up what you're saying. Right. I mean, the, the, the buzzword is USP or, or unique selling proposition or what makes you different. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of um, misinformation about that. I, first of all, I, I, you said something. Uh, I, I'm in my later years. I just enjoy helping businesses go. And what I've realized is no matter what I write, I could find out that it was written before. And, and one of you said that, I think, I think it was you, Richard. And there really is, in terms of how you run a business, I don't think anything's changed in thousands of years. The tools we have and the way we do it, like your podcasting, 
that's the equivalent of the radio a newspaper is an email you know or or, or a blog rather you, 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 we but the words we're saying, in my opinion, are very much the same words we'd say at the beginning of my career when we didn't have half these tools. And, and so you're right. Do, do you have the right mindset? Do you have the right um, um, persistence to really run a business? And it's easy to say yes until you start doing it. Mm-hmm. So as, as you... And let's just kind of break this down here. I mean, the seven key numbers, as we as we look at them, as you said, number one starts with lead generation. There's got to be more to that. I mean, in terms of what is the uh, the old adage, whoever can spend the most to acquire a customer wins or something of that nature, right? I mean, I think there's some adage, whether it's accurate or not. I guess Jeff might have a different opinion on that. But what what do you mean? I mean, in terms of a key number, what what makes it one of the key numbers? Just break that down well, a little bit for us. I, I mean, you could always break it down to let let's say your advertising. What's your reach? I mean, you could break every number down into all kinds of subtopics, but these seven numbers drive strategies and tactics. Which is how many leads do I want to get? How am I going to do it? And and so. You start going into, well, what is it? Is it place? Is it price? Is it um, uh, where you advertise, how you advertise your message? What's the promise you're giving to your customers? Um, You have a whole lot. Everything breaks down and branches out into a lot of subtopics. So leads is, I mean, my definition is, how are you going to generate qualified leads? And, and that's the big question. Are they qualified? Are you attracting the right customer? Who's your avatar, if you will? Who's your target market? Um, what is it they want? What need are you solving? Uh, what problem do they have that they don't want to have? And, and what don't they have that they want to have? Mm-hmm. And, and once you start answering questions like that, and, and by the way, that's the other thing. It's all about questions. Are you asking the right questions? So when I graduated college, the, the um, cliff notes of taxation, the master tax guide, was only that thick. Now it's about this thick. And that's an eight-point type or maybe smaller. Yeah. And, you, and you go, how can you get your head around it? Well, the questions have never changed during my career. The answers have, but the questions. So it's asking the right questions to get to the right answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I think mm, perhaps I know that, that the majority of businesses cannot answer these questions, right? I mean, I just think I mean, that's just the cold, hard facts. I, matter of fact, I don't know that we can answer most of these questions for sure here. And so... As you as you look at the conversion rate as an example, uh, certainly if your conversion rate is is higher and your lead generation cost is is lower, that's going to have a, a, a positive impact on your business. I mean, period, end Correct. story. Like, there's no other way around that. So, is and I and I totally get why these key numbers are important, but at the end of the day, isn't still the most important number whether or not you're making any money? Like, is there, that Let's doesn't change. that. 
no, no, let's define that. What, what I do is like I have a 90-day cash flow challenge. And what I say is basically do you have more cash in the bank at the end of the week than you did at the beginning? Fairly simple question. Mm -hmm. so, so some weeks are yes and some weeks are no. But overall, it's got to be yes. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be. And, and so you look at companies, and this gets into your financing and capital stack and all that kind of stuff. But take a look at Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. How many years did it take them to make a profit? I think Amazon went six years. I'm not sure about that. Don't they still but, show losses? I thought they still showed losses to this day. Well, well you can look at Musk, <laughs> you yeah. know, Elon Musk. But, but the point is they had cash. Mm -hmm. So you, you could survive without profit, but you can't survive without cash. Mm -hmm. So if, if I were to leave your listeners with one thought is, hey, do I have more cash this week than I did last week? And if the answer is no, what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. But some businesses are chunky. You know, I mean, like like Mary, for instance, in, in real estate. You oh, know, you watch, you yeah. might get slapped with not, that kind of check. Not Mary is chunky. <laughs> the business okay. is like Mary's business no, is no, chunky. We use the word seasonal. Exactly. <laughs> um, seasonal, exactly. So, like, Mary's business is seasonal so yeah if you have a month where you didn't close a deal you have weeks within that month that you've got money going out for marketing money going out for whatever those activities are travel and entertainment I mean, whatever right so that month could be very much in the red and then she'll have two mm, closings in in a, in a, in a two-week period and then, you know, the, the, obviously there's a lot more cash in the bank in, in, in that, you know, in that period of time. So, I mean, I hear you, and I think what you're saying is as, as oh, a whole, yes. you need to obviously have more in the bank at the end of that. But, again, just even in the Internet marketing world with you, where you do product launches or you do live events or these sort of things – I mean, you, like in our business, we can go weeks without having a significant amount of revenue coming in and then a huge week and then weeks and, and so on. So are, are you saying that you just have to weather that storm, look at it as an average? Like how do the metrics play into that? Well, uh, I'm going to go str strictly on the cash flow aspect of it. So you have a trend, a seasonality trend, or you know that you have um, a, a very huge discrepancy in revenue. So number one is, are you projecting out through, let's say, a quarter or a half year or a year, depending on the seasonality of your business, or in some industries, it's three to five years. Like in the home building business, we'll go for seven to 10 years in a great, we're riding the wave. Mm -hmm. When that wave hits shore, boy, you better be off of it. And and so our, our I call it a time horizon. What's your time horizon? And are you looking at your business? So, yes, is cash better off this week than it was last week? But also, where are you in your time horizon? Where are you? Do you have enough to get through the next leg? So not only should you be asking, was my cash better than last week? 
But the question is, where will my cash be next week, next month, next quarter, next year? Yeah. And that's part of it is, is in the challenge, what we do is we get them focused on where their cash is going as well. And, and that's exactly what you're saying is you have a highly, um, I mean, it's not like a grocery store where right. people come in every week. Right. Right. And so you have to put that into your projections, um, if you will. Um, and by the way, for, for people who want to know, a projection is just a guess. That's all it is. Um, you, you guess where you're going to be and you use those seven numbers and those first five are going to be a leading indicator. Your financials are a lagging indicator. They tell you what happened. But if you're monitoring it in terms of your cash flow, it's a leading indicator. So if you know that in order to sell, let's say, your next program, which is in three weeks, you're going to have to spend X amount of dollars. And here's the amount of um, uh, leads we have to get. And here's what our uh, conversion ratio is. And then what your upsell, downsell, and all those questions. Now you're starting to ask the right questions because you can't take one number in and of itself and come to a conclusion. There's a cascade effect of these numbers. If you want more leads, you're going to have to spend more money. Is the money you're going to spend does the money you're going to spend justify the leads you're going to generate? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just like there's a debt for every debit, there's got to be at least one credit and it's sort of like Newton's law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes on with running a business. Mm -hmm. What, what, when you, when you, when you start something, what is the, what are the fallouts? Where's it going to fall out? And, and that's where a lot of people get in trouble is they overestimate their revenues, underestimate their expenses, and boom, they're out of business. Mm-hmm. Our house goes away, the family breaks up, you get divorced. It, it's, it's awful. Yeah. And that's because, you know, you want to look in the past, but you also want to be always keeping your eye on the future. Sponsored by Prozac. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So, uh, well, I didn't want to, was there anything else you wanted to add to that, Richie? (laughs) Uh, No, I was actually um, just, I normally don't make these comments, but I was so interested in doing the 90 day cash thing. Uh, You got a 404 air, so before this airs, fix the. uh, (laughs) It's airing right now for the last couple of years. If you. If you go to Cashflow Engineering and hit info at Cashflow Engineering, it will get to me or J.K. Prager at uh, Cashflow Engineering. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So I want I have a question. Please. All right. The definition of cash and the, and definition of profit, but let me give you a little backstory. So I have vacation rentals. So I'm getting, I'm booking out into the future, and sometimes with my Airbnb, it could be that night or two days from now or whatever. So I have expenses for gas and electric water, all sorts of things that go into that. But if I come out with more revenue, is that, and my bills are paid, is that the cash that I get to use as disposable income or would that be the profit? He's laughing at me. Yeah, no, because you're doing even what CPAs do, your, your, your terminology. When are you collecting the cash is the key. Not okay. when do you bill it, when do you collect it? 
And if the collections after the cost of, you know, the Airbnb, their commission and everything is greater than your revenue, yeah. But like on a daily basis, you may be paying expenses first and getting the revenue second, which like, is most businesses. Like your mortgage. I mean, that's part of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but profit and cash in most cases are not the same words. So I, you're I, confusing me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and that's why, I, I mean, I, I have a saying, if you ran your business based on generally accepted accounting principles, you would go bankrupt. All right? Because it is totally confusing. Are you a cruel method? Are you cash method and all that? Going back to your problem. In your case, because it's very simple the way you're presenting it, mm -hmm. yes, the cash coming in is greater than the cash coming out. And in your case, that's almost the equivalent of profit. But for most, but let me go one step further. Do you depreciate your unit? Yes. All right. That affects profit, but not cash. Do you pay principal and interest on your unit? Yes. Principal doesn't affect profit. Interest does. And that's why people are so confused. This, these distinctions I'm making, most people running a business do not understand it. That's why I try to get them to think in the simplicity of it is, is my cash coming in greater than my cash going out over a given period of time. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you've got the appreciation uh, as well, hopefully, in most circumstances. But that's not cash in your pocket. Definitely not cash, not cash, but from, a, but from a balance sheet perspective or certainly from a, you know, a personal financial statement perspective, that, that would be a number, right? I mean, that, that would be a number on that piece of paper. But, but like you said, it doesn't impact cash in any way. Uh, any, let me. I got a question for Jeff, but let me make sure you guys have closed the loop on anything else. You guys still have well, a, just a one. And, do you have a resource that someone like myself could fill in? And you say, okay, you know, this is interest does affect this, and principal doesn't, and then I could fill in and really get a good idea of what the I true numbers do. are. I, I I do. I could give you one of the uh, uh, spreadsheets we use in. Um, uh, the 90 day challenge. Yeah. Awesome. Hold, so hold tight okay. on that because I think what we're going to go ahead and do is we'll put, we'll put that on the reinvention radio site and Kelly, you just got to remind me if we did it as slash gift or slash resources. I can't remember what we did now. Um, but we'll, we'll take that we'll put it there and then you guys can go to that site. I'll give you that site here in a second. As soon as Kelly tells me what the uh, extension is on that. Uh, and then absolutely Jeff, we'll, we'll put it there. Happy to do so. Um, and and we'll, we'll get that in your hands. Richie, what, just want to make sure I, before I ask a, a very specific question as it relates to this conversation, any, anything else you need the loop closed on? Um, not, <clears throat> excuse me, not necessarily closed as much as I'm starting to see a little bit the frame of reference and perception is really how he's using the words more specific than what we've heard in the past. It reminds me, I don't, I don't necessarily want to make it seem like rich dad, poor dad, but when he would say, oh, you own a house and you think that's an asset, but that's cash flow out for you. It's cash flow in for the bank who's got your mortgage. Mm -hmm. So it's an asset for them, but it's not necessarily an asset for you. So it's just it, a lot of 
what I think you're referring to is we're just trained, we're trained in schools to think like employees, but yet, yeah, you know, you, when you finally do it and you go out, we've never been taught these terminology. And if we have, it's been by someone who's using the wrong terminology to your point. And so you can see probably why it's only at 4% after 10 years, right? You know, there's a lot to go against. And it's funny you brought up Kawasaki. I was going to bring that up, and I just stopped in mid-sentence when I was going to bring it up. But that's exactly what kind of Mary's talking about is, you know, yeah, it's appreciating. But to get to that point where you could enjoy that appreciation, mm-hmm. you've got to spend money. You've got a mortgage. And, and again, you're paying back principal out of your cash flow, but that's not affecting your profit. Mm-hmm. So let's let, let's shift gears here for for one quick second, and uh, then of course encourage folks to connect with you, and we'll give out that info. And by the way, you can go to reinventionradio.com/slash/resources, and we'll put that uh, that link there. So again, you can go to reinventionradio.com/slash/resources, uh, and we'll put Jeff's uh, link there, uh, and you can go ahead and grab uh, all that fun stuff that Jeff will be sharing here uh, as well. But let me. Let me just ask you this. So from 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 an exit perspective, because you bring a unique, I mean, you certainly bring a unique approach here with the seven key numbers to what to really be measuring in, in your business to know if you're profitable and making money, this, that, and the other. Do you also bring a fairly unique uh, approach here to valuation? Because like one of the things that, um, that, that I know there can be a million different uh, ways of looking at uh, the value of a company from an exit perspective is is based on, well, variables that are more important to one acquirer versus uh, versus another. But how how do you look at uh, at acquisition or exit and, and valuations? And are, are there certain things that we should be focused on uh, if we're looking to maximize the value of a business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it depends. Again. You asked two questions here, acquirer and seller. An acquirer, when we're buying businesses, what I like to look at is a return on my cash. Now, there are other reasons you'll overpay for a business. Um, and, and, uh, um, and that has to do with strategic type acquisitions. But let's, let's go out of there for a second. The majority of them are based on cash flow. And the cash flow has to be sufficient enough so that it covers whatever I have to pay to the existing owner and gives me a return on the money I'm putting in. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, that's kind of rogue in a way. It's not as um, uh, variable from that side. And, and, And the bottom line is no business is worth something, anything until somebody's willing to pay for it. Mm. And, and let me, Mary, this will go right up your alley, is as a land developer, in good times, my lots were worth 100 grand the lot. In bad times, I can't give them away. Yeah. Right? The market tells you. Right. The market tells you. Now, from an owner standpoint, again, one of my things is work backwards. Where do you want to end up? How much do you want? How much do you need after taxes for your for your lifestyle to to do the things you really you love to do with the people you want to do it most with? How, how much do you need? Mm-hmm. Now the question is, how do we build that business? And we use the seven numbers. It's the same thing. 
and we figure out the time horizon. Do I want to sell in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And we start looking at those numbers and saying, can we even build the business to that value? And, and again, you're working on some hypotheticals. What kind of return on investment does somebody buying it want and stuff like that? But, you know, it, it, believe it or not, it's almost the same process as fi- your personal financial planning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's fairly similar. And, and then you work toward, okay, what does the business have to be worth? And then isn't, and, isn't there, I mean, there's got to be a little bit of a, of a disconnect too between showing enough profit so that, and cash flow so that the business is saleable and the taxation issues. I mean, again, using the same term that, here, I that, mean, those, those two are diametrically opposed, right? I mean, you, you don't want to yeah. show so profit because then you get taxed on it. But if you don't show profit, you can't, can't value it, it and you can't yes. value it. Yeah. So, so there's an old joke about the restaurant business, but the year that they're going to sell it, almost inevitably their gross revenues go up by 20, 30, 40%. You <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> read between the lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, so, so yeah, there is, I, I, I do remember when, when I was building my first couple of houses, the bank puts the, the first couple of banks put um, restrictions on us and if we abided by those restrictions, we would have been bankrupt. The bank was bankrupting us. Mm. And and because of that dilemma of when do you want to recognize profits? I'm not talking about evading taxes, but you could definitely play with the timing of when you're going to pay them mm-hmm. based on legitimate legal things. I want to make sure everybody understands this is all legitimate and legal, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's an old joke in the accounting profession is how much is two plus two. Yeah. And the answer is whatever you want it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, you you could play with estimates, you could play with depreciation and amortization. You could play with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. There's one thing you can't play with is cash. Mm-hmm. Which kind of begs the question too of why the the tax codes are so complicated and and uh, and allow for so many loopholes. And I mean, again, if we just use straight math here of whatever you bring in minus whatever it is that you got to pay to to make all of that happen, yeah, that should be a number. And either pay tax on it or you don't. And and I think that's part of what's going on here and why we have a trillion dollar deficit right now is because so many of the people out there, I mean, you've got Apple with $180 billion in cash. You got Google with $140 billion sitting in cash and, and so on. Right. I mean, it's, it's a game that a lot of people have learned how to play. And when you set up the, the rules in a way where uh, you can play it as a game, some people are just going to win a game and some people are going to lose a game period and story so, it, I mean, look, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation and certainly uh, appreciate your uh, approach to, to looking at business from a, from a cash flow perspective. And I, and I know you have your cash flow roadmap and, uh, and certainly folks can get more information at cashflowengineering.com uh, and we'll make some links available to your resources uh, as well at reinventionradio.com forward slash resources and the, and the whole conversation here around the seven key numbers 
uh, and paying yourself. And uh, I mean, just we, we covered a lot of ground. And this, this is one of those episodes where you probably want to go back to the beginning after we talk about Mary's vacation. Then we get into the conversation of just how we look at business and how we value a business and the metrics that you really do need to be looking at. And there's a lot of confusion out there. And I will be the first to say that as I look at my own tax returns, I don't know how much I grossed. I don't know how much I netted. It's it's very confusing. I've got great accountants and great CPAs, and they do what they're supposed to do based on the rules of the game. But when I look at it, it's, it's really hard for this layperson who's not a CPA or financial person to really know, okay, how much did I actually make? How much did I actually lose? So it's just it's a very interesting conversation. Jeff, uh, in the last 30 seconds here or so, uh, anything else that you want to, to leave the listener with? You're, you're dealing with an extremely important and complicated subject. And um, um, I would like to make available to your listeners a seven-number worksheet so that they could try this on their own. And if they need to get more help, they could call me. Uh, my whole goal in life is just to help more businesses succeed. It's mm-hmm. really that simple. And um, uh, thank God I, I'm at the point where I could do that and have that as my mission. Yeah. So uh, I'll make some of these resources available. I'll email you guys with links Perfect. so they could get them directly. Perfect. And then you could uh, give it to your viewers. Yeah. And if they want to know more, please just uh, uh, give us a call. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, we'll put that all up at reinventionradio.com forward slash resources. And you can reach out for Jeff Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R, directly. Uh, His site is cashflowengineering.com. So you can go there and uh, lots of resources available there as well. Jeff, appreciate you joining us here on Reinvention Radio. Thanks so much for sharing all of your brilliance and your years of experience and kind of making it as, as easy for us lay type people here to to understand but like you said it's a very interesting and and oftentimes needlessly complicated subject but it is complicated so thanks for breaking this down we will talk to you really really soon interesting stuff yep please jeff sure working with you guys yeah that was great having you on Uh, you know wish we had a little more time here to wrap up mary and richie but uh unfortunately we are out of time on this episode of Reinvention Radio. So for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, by way holding it down the studio, Kelly got it under control back at headquarters. I am Steve Olsher. Thanks again, Jeff Prager. We'll talk to you next time here on Reinvention Radio. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. 
you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.